We connected. Here we go, audience. That's our cue to get into our two hours together here at the Radio Ranch. It's the Friday edition. That always means, well, almost, with very rare exceptions always, means that Brent Winters is with us today, and we always appreciate that. And it's Roger Sales and Brent Winters here at the Radio Ranch on the Eurofolk Radio Network. If you are streaming live and listening, or if you're on the Jitsi board here with us with a number of other folks, good morning to you. Uh, It's the, what is it, fifth? 15th somebody's got their mic off could you hit that mic get a little noise out of there or mic on excuse me and uh, i think i got it okay thank you it's the 15th of uh, july and one day short of my second birthday so uh, this is a real important time of the year for me generally symbolically certainly and uh, as of 30 years tomorrow i entered into the patriot movement and my life changed I refer to it as life number one and life number two, really, because it's been that dramatically different internally for me. Uh, And uh, I credit and thank John Benson, uh, the late John W. Benson, as my second father, if you will, because he gave me this life through this information he imparted on me and now upon all of you. And my hope and prayer, in all honesty, is that it touches and affects you as much as it has me. And if we can spread that, we may can do something. But we got to take it a day at a time, put it in the big Lord's hands, and see what his will is, not ours. In the meantime, we're just supposed to understand this, come out of her best we can and alert the other people that have eyes to see and ears to hear and if they don't listen the blood's on their hands i'm sorry about it you know uh illustration illustration of my point uh, i guess most people know yesterday that ivanka trump died everybody hear that well if you didn't ivanka trump died 70 ivana excuse me i get them all mixed up ivana trump died and what did she die of mer a heart I think heart failure, uh, cardiac arrest, vaccine that her ex-husband pushed through. So uh, there's all kinds of events happening. Interesting out there. And we're coming to a head in some areas. Uh, I didn't mention yesterday that uh, I had seen the night before a new cliff high video and uh, sitting on his front porch there on the Pacific Ocean and uh, talking about a a whole bunch of physics kind of stuff mostly. But in the uh, one part, he was saying 12th through the 17th, something big's coming. So we're right there, okay? We're right there. And there's all kinds of ominous stuff all over the globe, all over the country in every vector, really. So be prepared. Be on your toes. We'll see if that comes true or not. Don't know. Uh, Brent Winters, are you with us here this morning, my friend? Brent, you're not with us? Anybody see Brent on the board? No. Okay, well, he'll be there in a minute then, I guess. Okay, I know he's out there, so he may be having trouble connecting. That happens occasionally. So let's see, while we're waiting for Mr. Winters to join us, let me see if he sent me a message here. Hold on. See if he can get on. Y'all talk about something for a minute, please. 
Roger. But this, what's interesting is the false flags of Russia uh, having a nuclear war upon us, and it's not Russia, it's our own country is going to dump on uh, one city, from what I understand, as an example, to get well, us to all go, oh, we need the one world government. Please, okay, please. my question would be, Daniel, have you seen the, any footage on the uh, TV commercials they're showing in New York? I don't watch TV, so no. No, no, no. Well, I, I don't either, but I've seen the clips, people talking about it. Oh, no, I'd love to hear about it. Well, they've got a, a, a nuclear war commercial running in New York City in case of a nuclear event. Get inside, stay, get to the middle of the building, this, that, and the other. If you've been outside, wash your clothes and dust the dust off and et cetera, et cetera. They're running that spot on New York uh, media now. Yeah, I did see that. And they're not telling you how to... Um clean your water from radiation and blah 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 but it's all it's all deep state and just a continuation of the ukraine thing and what are we really talking about here i mean honestly what are we really talking about here we're talking about that the financial system's about to crumble and they got to get a war started so they can distract you and clean those books Okay. Now, what uh, I heard somebody uh, with a lot of expertise talking about this on rents the other night. Did you hear this, Jeff? Guy in the first hour? I got part of it. I didn't get the second half. I'm sorry. I don't remember. Uh, but Mike Henderson, I think. Um, maybe not. I, I don't know. I get that confused. But Mitchell Henderson. Mitchell Henderson. Well, he was talking about. Thank you, Mur. He was talking about the. These shows uh, are on the front page, too. They're not archived. Either. Right. And it, and it may not have been him. It may have been somebody else because he's got a couple of these experts that he has on there. Experts, you know, quote unquote. But this guy obviously knew what he was talking about. And uh, they were talking about this. Um, holy smokes, this under underwater ballistic missile that Russia's got. Yeah. Okay. And I don't remember there's a name for it. It's not, I don't think it's the Poseidon, but it's some strange name but they can I, I wish i could remember all the specifics the thing can go like three thousand kilometers at some unbelievable speed underwater and houses incredibly large nuclear payloads and what they're going to do evidently or at least the plan of usage of that particular weapon is to fire it and then let it get close to shore and explode and create a thousand foot high tsunami okay goodbye florida good uh, goodbye east and west coast particularly new york which they'd love uh to happen because then again just like the towers of 9-11 and and uh the uh, uh all the bonds that they've been monkeying with they're all gone all of a sudden so uh, we're at that point in time they're getting desperate they got biden over there in the middle east holy smokes they just signed a memorandum, a memorandum of understanding that should anything happen with Iran and they and they get the nuclear weapons, the U.S. is going to step in and stop it. Now Iran has now got close ties with both Russia and China, so now Iran can't have a nuclear weapon via Israel, but they can get one from China and Russia. Hello, Ukraine too. These people are desperate to start a war, folks. They're desperate because they got caught. They're getting caught on every single vector of their initiative. And this financial system, they're barely able to cobble it together. They're losing control of the dollar. The BRICS countries are all mobilizing against them. They're trying to go against Russia. That means Russia. You know, the, the damn ruble's up something like 50-something percent in a couple of months. 
That's how bad they're hurting Russia. Okay. Yep. I mean, it's ridiculous. Okay. They're almost, you know, we're in an unusual position because we see, studying all the things we know here and talk about, we see how intricate they are at planning and executing, okay, over a time. And now look at this bunch of crap. Why? The timeline and the event line have merged. They're having to make decisions on the spot now. They are not making them 50, 100 years ahead of time. They're making them now. And it's generations from those guys that made those original plans. You know what happens when generations go through in America, don't you? You know, the, the immigrants come over. They work their ass off. They build a successful business. They have their children. They include it in the business. The children work their ass off. The business becomes more successful. Their children get the crap spoiled out of them, and they sit around and do nothing. It's yeah. always the third generation. Okay, so what we've got is generations of these creeps. Okay, so uh, anyway, that's kind of an interesting overview. Uh, just be aware, keep your big eyes open and your big mouth shut, and watch everything's going on around you. The, the only thing I would add to that is there's that on one side. We got the dialectic. Okay, in our country and everywhere, the starvation. And if this war hits right when the starvation hits. It could fold everybody. Oh, one world. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to just get us to accept the one world government. Oh, they're going to force. They're forcing you into it. They're setting yeah, it up. That's what all. Right. Exactly. That's what all the foods uh, about, and all the you know, coming water stuff, and the no gas, and the no e- EDF or whatever that crap is in diesel trucks, and all the rest of that stuff is coming. So they can either kill you or make you come to them and beg, and they're going to say, "Oh, by the way, you got any guns? We'll get those. You're going to get this vaccination. We'll give you some food." That's what's you coming. Know, in, the, in the 40s, uh, this thing happened between Russia and Ukraine. Once again, in Russia, I saw um, some pictures of them taking on their trains all the farm equipment to Russia. <laughs> Just loading up all the farm equipment to Russia so they could grow it themselves. <laughs> and, of course, we, um, I think everybody here knows about the Holomador and uh, what they did to these poor Ukrainians in the 30s. And There's different estimates. Nobody has a... Uh, set uh, a number of how many people were either starved or killed or or died and were eaten because they actually had to resort to cannibalism during that period of time. Yep. And it was the most fruitful years of one of the bread baskets of the world. You know why they starved, Daniel? Anybody? Bumper years in the Ukraine in those years. Go ahead. Who's going to say something? I just was going to say, is it because they were afraid to eat everything because it was poison? They exported everything. Bumper years. Mm. Is this kind of reminiscent maybe of Biden selling a million gallons a day out of our strategic petroleum reserves to China and other countries? Is that kind of parallel at least a little? Same thing they did to Ireland and then called it a potato famine. Yep. yep. Uh, you know, and I, 
as, as they've got a playbook they follow it over now this is really an interesting it's just something i thought through years ago they 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 they're very predictable in a sense and the reason they are is because everything they've ever done has ever always worked and so they're going back to the well because it's always worked but things have changed and it doesn't work any well uh, as well uh, uh, example i.e modern jan 6 hearings oh they bring a hollywood producer on they got all the prime time news lowest rating damn uh, uh show on the week you know i mean the ratings of that thing are just absolutely abominable all right but they're up there beating the drum because that kind of crap has always worked with watergate the jfk assassination all the rest of this time it's worked but now it ain't working is it no it's not things have changed you mentioned nine oh i'm sorry i thought you were done no go you ahead please nine eleven see yeah. i did i'm sorry go ahead um, please it's hard for me to hear because i'm not i'm you know, um, you just mentioned line 11, and I did, I did a lot of symbol and study. And if you take a Gideon's Bible you find in the motel, and if you get a 64 one, and you go to page 911, you'll find it says in the fortified tower in Zechariah, Zechariah 1 through 15. And I think the 13 through 15, it says the fortified towers were following the big city. But if you look at the $20 bill and you fold it correctly, it has the twin tires on it. Well, you're correct about New York getting flooded out because that's part of Babylon, and um, one of it's, I, and um, it mentions that on a hundred dollar bill. If you study symbolism on money, and um, you'll see that um, it says New York is going to get flooded out. Well, well, you know, it's a day-by-day deal. I just go over the scenarios and how things are set up, and you can, you know, connect the dots and see what you think for yourself. But uh, there's all kinds of ominous stuff out there. Um, uh, there's there's lawsuits going in against these vaccine manufacturers. What did I hear? Uh, I just heard the on listening to Owen Sawyer's yesterday show. A judge in I think he said Cincinnati, a federal judge in Cincinnati has nixed their whole religious exemption denial for the Air Force. And all the people that have already left the Air Force or were in process of getting kicked out are all in, and it's disrupted the whole thing worldwide. So that was yesterday. He was a Trump judge, by the way. And I I guess it was a district court. I mean, you know, they don't go into those kind of specifics on those types of stories. These people aren't as aware of that, that type of a setup scenario as we are. But it sounded like it was a district court decision. Of course, what does that mean? Uh, Garfunkel up there, and then we'll automatically appeal it. So we'll see. I don't know much about that circuit up there. I'm, I'm sure Brent knows a little bit more about it because it's pretty close to where he is. Uh, I think it's either in cincinnati or louisville the circuit there and i just can't remember the number um but anyway brent you with us yet by any chance no he's not in yet well that's pretty unusual man that never happens that brent doesn't show up yeah you know one of the things that i've noticed this is really i mean who knows which ways it's going i i hear you and then i see the negative but what i do see is just like satan thought he had it in the bag when he crucified our lord had no idea that that was his demise. I see the same kind of thing that they're doing now. No, they're just see, they're, 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 I, I, just, just give you an example. Is a lot of these um, um, food manufacturers, and there's been way over a hundred. I mean, there's we can't even count them all that they've been blowing up. It's all the GMO food. It's all the crap we shouldn't be eating. Well, that's probably and, a blessing. That's just one example. I mean, they're they're taking out their system well, at the same time. 
Yeah, see, that's what I keep saying. There's going to be some silver linings in these clouds we're, we're in, immersed in, okay? And we just don't hey, know Roger. it yet. Is that, uh, yeah, who's that, Charlie? Sarah Mason. Oh, hey, Azure Sarah. Stan- Azure Standard is not GMO. They're one of the largest single family-owned um, food I, I'm aware of that. I'm yeah. aware that they got so taken. Not, They're actually not personal angry. friends of mine. I know them very well. I'm talking about the majority, way majority, are actually the bad ones. And you're right about that. They're oh, taking, I'm sure. Well, out. well, I'm sure most of the food productions with nope. with these ingredients too. Right. Okay. It all has aborted baby fetuses in it. If you do a Google or a search on foods that have aborted baby fetuses, you'll find crap. All that has aborted baby fetuses. Well, I can tell it. you one thing that does is Pepsi. So if you any of you guys that are still drinking soft drinks, I got to shake my head and just go good luck, you know. But right Pep, Pepsi evidently has that crap in it, along with a lot of and other McDonald's stuff. Is, is using um, is using ground up human beings in it. I mean, just all kinds of crazy stuff. Frito Lay. Yeah. Oh God. But they're all. And, I mean. The, the, all these companies are making garbage stuff that's killing us. So they're killing those people. They are hitting some of our um, Azure Farm. It will survive. They're, they're rebuilding. They've, they've only had some of their the, the place where they mix a lot of their liquids, and they'll be fine. But, I mean, if they don't get hit again. But, I mean, but the point is, is this is just one example of how they think they're taking us down and they're taking themselves down at the same time. I mean, more so than they're taking us down. Again, if we weren't aware, they have a greater possibility of taking us down. Their problem for this whole underlying thing is that people all over the globe are starting to know what's happening in large percentages. I'm going to drop Brent a note here on on Skype and see if I can figure out what's going on. Y'all talk for a minute. Yeah, when people are starting to starve, it's hard to, to deny anything's going on. And people that never has no clue of all the depth of the things we talk about definitely know something's going on with the starvation thing coming. And well, we have to remember that we have to remember that whatever the devil has planned against us for evil, God will turn to good. Amen, sister. And that's exactly right. The, the, the devil is just an instrument of God's... Um, will and and his plan and they he can't do anything that god doesn't allow him to do and you know my bottom line what what uh, god allows him to do is drive people to him drive people to him the conclusion is not one world government it's get in tight with the lord period i know what uh, somebody brent quotes somebody i don't remember who it is and his statement was yeah he's a devil but he's god's devil <laughs> It's in Job. Is it? It's always funny. Uh, I heard something yesterday in an interview pretty interesting. Some of y'all in this uh, spiritual line might want to go listen to. It's a pretty good interview on SGT Reports. And Sean's got a guy over there that's done a lot of study into the Nephilim and stuff and biblical study. And the interesting thing is before he embarked on his biblical study, he was an atheist. Now he's a confirmed Christian. <laughs> It's a really good interview. I, I don't remember the guy's name or the title, but it was yesterday or day before, so you can go over to SGT Report on his SGTReport.com. I think it's one of his sites. probably find it. It's a very good interview. 
and uh, he had some very interesting things to say. He said the people we're fighting now are the uh, distant distant uh, relatives of the Nephilim, and the Nephilim, uh, they were giants initially, but every generation, as opposed to us, where every generation gets taller, every generation of theirs has gotten smaller. And that, that's gave a, the guy's name, Roger, sorry to interrupt. I believe yeah. his name is Dustin Nemus. I think that may be right. I don't. I didn't pay attention to it, but it's a good interview. Did anybody else hear that yet? You may want to you may want to dial it yes. up and listen to it. It's pretty good. I did. did you, Lisa? What'd you think? I thought it was good. He does a lot of the Q stuff too, though. He so. did drop. He did. He, he did drop Q in there, which kind of raised an eyebrow. But you know, hey, I wish the Q stuff was true. It'd be great. Uh, you know, I've, at this point in my development, I don't listen to anonymous sources. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. You know. Amazing about anybody um, that is atheist or whatever, wherever we're at, the one thing that the Jesuits are, and which is behind all of this don't yes. want us to do is read the Bible. And no, it's they don't. amazing they when don't. you read the Bible how you go, oh, I didn't know that was in there. Oh, I didn't. well, this is a conspiracy book if ever there was one, you know. It, it will straighten you out in two seconds, but no one, even Christians, do not read the Bible. No, How many Christians do you know that read the Bible? I don't know. Are no, very few. No. Uh, they, have a pr- they have a real big They, they all say it's too hard and I can't understand it. For My our, answer to that is you got to pray first. It's his our, book. Go find a, a version you can understand you can trust. For our Fenton is my go-to. Uh, but praying first helps a lot. It does. Receiving mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit will turn the lights on. Yeah, I've read it, and I keep studying it. Uh, Lorraine Day has read it 31 or 32 times. You yeah. see her, her studies. There was, really a, good. there was an interesting guy that's on the Rents Network. He had him on in the first hour last night. Jeff, again, I know you listen to Rents. Did you hear that guy last night? He's uh, he's one of their network guys, and that means Rents has him on once a month. He's out of Florida. Again, I, uh, what's his name, Murr? Ted Brower. Yeah, he's a really, really articulate, real smart guy, real big Christian, got his own show and stuff. And he brought out a very interesting point last night about the Lord's Prayer. And I don't know what version of the Bible he was reading on, but you know where it says deliver us from evil? That's a that's a mis that's a kind of a mistranslation. In the original it said deliver us from the evil one. That's correct. Okay. Very interesting. I'd never heard that before. And it, King James says evil. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it was a, a kind of an interesting twist, and I was going to present Brent with it today if he shows up. I, 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 I dropped him a note and said, we're waiting on you, so I haven't got a reply yet. He may be in a dead zone where he's traveling, can't get to a Wi-Fi or something, so don't know. Uh, you know, should, Roger, yes? on every Friday when Brent's on, there's the F on here. Yes. Which is, I want to say, Francine. That's who it is. So I don't know if she could try, if she knows. Well, I'm in contact with him. We exchanged a message right before the show time, so I don't know where he is or what's going on. But anyway, I got a message into him, and as Annie Oakley, little Annie Oakley said, the show must go on, so we'll go on with or without Brent. And if he's not here, then we'll miss him, you know. <laughs> uh, and it'll be one of the few times in seven years he's ever missed a program, too, by the way. Uh, so for whatever reason, we'll see how it develops. Some, um, what else can we talk about? I got an email again this morning from a guy going, I haven't got my green card yet. It's been 11 weeks. What do I do? 
folks, please, you know, I, I wrote him back and said, well, have you checked online? Have you traced the number? See if it was received. Once legally, once you put that affidavit into the mail system, it's considered received. But, all, you know, and I guess people are scared. I understand that and apprehensive, and they want to make sure everything is dotted and crossed. And uh, But I wrote him back and said, well, have you checked online to see if it was received? And then I told him that it doesn't really matter because legally their laws – uh, it, once it's in the post office system, it's considered received. And the other thing is, you know, don't put so much emphasis on this if you can. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's important to get it back, I guess. It's more important to go online and see if it's received because that's just essentially as good as the return receipt requested in your hands. But, uh, anyway, uh, you know, a lot of uh, elementary questions, and every one of them I want to go back and say study the information. You know, put some time into this. It's your freedom. You know, well, if I told you to go jump off a bridge, would you do it? Okay, so anyway, that's uh, another matter. Let's see what else. Uh, usually, I don't prepare a lot for Friday because Brent's generally here, and I just let him roll. But uh, so I hadn't done any prep today from the standpoint of thinking about what to say or things that are interesting and important. Just trying to touch on some of the things that pressed my buttons since yesterday. Same, yes, sir, Daniel. Um, I just got this, uh, I don't know where it came from, but it was a thing on the Jesuits. And I thought, oh, I wonder if this is a Catholic uh, propaganda crap. Three hours long. And it goes through everything they've been doing. They killed Kennedy. They killed, they tried to kill um, uh, um, Reagan. And then they flipped Reagan to re- put us back in line with the with the Vatican. It was Reagan who put us back in in um agreements with the vatican but it is so well done i put it in the it's like the first of all the posts today is it a read is it a read or a video no a video it's it's awesome send me send me i think i may have seen that but send me a link to it anyway if you would daniel it's mind-boggling it's Uh, just like well talks about how they ran the the you know the bank they run the bankers so you know we know that uh, the rothschilds are the vatican bankers but you never hear the reverse that the Vatican runs the Rothschilds. <laughs> well, you know, the way I look at this is I was figuring it out. I don't know if we've talked about this, Daniel, that you've heard. Uh, and somebody was trying to say something, come in right behind you. So if you just hold for a minute, because it's pretty important. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to meet and briefly know, um, and, and now Tupper Saucy. Are you familiar with Tupper Saucy, Dan? Yeah, I've heard of him. Okay, Tupper was a really interesting guy. I knew him through another guy that knew him pretty well. Uh, and um, I actually, when he released his book, Rulers of Evil, he did a tour, and I, he was in Atlanta. I got to go and buy a book and get it signed and hear his talk and all that stuff, get to know him a little bit. And uh, I, I got to speak with him again on Skype before he died at an occasion here a few months. And uh, I was trying to uh, explain this 14th Amendment to him, st- stuff to him. Now, Rulers of Evil, his last book, was on uh, the Catholic Church's involvement in this, and it's a brilliant book, okay? I mean, it is really hard-hitting if you've never been exposed to it. It was only released in a tabletop, coffee table-type hard book configuration. There's some electronic copies of it floating around, and since he's died, I think his family is still selling it. But uh, Rulers of Evil is the name. Uh, and uh, I mentioned a Tupper on there. I was As I was trying to talk to him and explain this 14th Amendment stuff to him, he says, Roger, 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 don't you understand? They can only rule evil. 
Now, folks, that's a profound statement right there. It doesn't seem like it on the surface. You noodle on it for a while. Okay. Uh, for those of you who may not know who we're talking about, Tupper Saucy was one of the patriarchs of our movement back in the 70s, I guess, 80s maybe. He, uh, he was a brilliant guy, very, very talented. He was a musician. He's from South Florida, I think, around the Tampa area. Because uh, I've had people contact me and say, well, I used to see a Tupper Saucy in a band down here. Then he moved to Nashville and he got into the advertising business and opened an advertising agency. And he was a songwriter, too. Hell, he won a damn Grammy one year. Very talented guy. And um, he, his, his initial book and in what solidified him in our movement is a book called Miracle on Main Street. Any of you familiar with that? I think you shared it before. That's where I heard it. Okay. Miracle on Main Street was about how the state constitutions all require payment of taxes in gold and silver. Okay. And uh, he wrote that book. It was a pretty big hit in a very small community in those days. And, of course, you can almost predict what happened next, can't you? Yep. Okay, IRS comes after him. They convict him. He gets uh, before he gets uh, goes to put himself in jail. He goes on the lamb and on the lamb for ten years. He married a gal that was very well off, and they had an RV and they travel around the country. And that's when he wrote Rulers of Evil. Did all the research, and so um, that book is very powerful. And it started me thinking because I'd always uh, tagged the Jews with this. Okay. Well, it, there's a lot of very, very, really factual information, historical information there that'll make you, it'll at least make you think, okay? And so after that, I'm listening to the radio one day, and somebody comes on and they're talking about the Council of Foreign Relations. Okay, we all know about that. We all know about their control and their membership, all that kind of stuff. You know who was leading the the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, Dan? I'm, I'm listening. Cardinal Ratzinger. Oh. And the a second Holy crap. and the second guy behind him was a Catholic bishop too. They're okay, the so they're the ones the, they're the ones that are running the CFR. Who the hell you think's running the show? You got it. That's exactly right. The Jesuits run the whole show. Okay. Which were the Knight Templars before them. But exactly. Whatever. And, and of course, now, now hold on. A bunch of you want to talk. We can discuss it. Let me get my piece out first. So as I'm thinking through this through the years, and it hit me back around, well, let's take May the 1st, 1776. Okay. The founding of the Illuminati, right? How many central banks were there in the, in the world in 1776? None. The few, maybe no. in Europe, maybe in Europe. No, no, they started. They started a couple right around. There. Well, you, the Bank of England was already, and the first one wasn't the Bank of England. The first central bank was in the Netherlands. Okay, so uh, that was going on already. So there's maybe a couple of central banks. Well, answer me this, Daniel. Doesn't every city in every country of the world have a Catholic Church in it? Yep. Which system? Before we formed our constitution that the Rothschilds had started a bank in America for 20 years. They got 20 years from the Congress. And when the 20 years was up, they went back and the Congress says, nope. But that they were in the beginning of our That's country. right. The first bank, the second bank was the one that Andrew Jackson didn't wouldn't sign the renewal on the charter. Right. But the Supreme Court, they influenced and said they could do it. And Jackson's famous statement was, let them enforce it. 
okay but all of that so here's my question there's only a couple of central banks in the world but every city and every town in the world had a catholic church which system do you think you'd want to use (laughs) okay uh so anyway just a little you know and i've had to rethink that over the years and i think the way that these people work doesn't it only make sense because of their history and who they are and their reputation and their uh, customs and traditions that if you were running the show you always want to not have the attention on you so you put these people out front to get all the attention that's what all our politicians are they're okay okay so for whatever that's worth you can noodle on it and come up to your own conclusions four or five people want to say something a minute ago one of you unmute and cork off now nobody wants to say anything. <laughs> yeah there's somebody who's that is that john this is ken in texas oh hey ken all right you sound like our buddy john in utah a lot hey ken have you got that horny toad yet uh no i let him run free i i couldn't saddle him so okay he was too much for me have you ever have you ever um, taken have you ever taken a horny toad and turned it over and rubbed its belly have you ever done that personally no but i've seen them squirt blood from their eyes though yeah well they just go to sleep man if you take a little horny toad and turn him over and rub his belly he likes it so how you doing ken sharks sharks will do that too now i'm not going to do that to um, a shark so be my guest my cat <laughs> says the same thing. yeah my dog um, well, I had an interesting phone call yesterday. I, I called the passport office because I, you know, was able to get online and I finally had a status. They had accepted it. You know, I sent you an email about that. Yes. And then uh, in that same email, they mentioned that, you know, if you want to upgrade to expedited service, you know, call this number. And so I called and they went through all my stuff, my address and everything, verifying everything. And then all of a sudden the lady goes, well, hang on just a second. I have to check something. She was gone for about five minutes and she came back and started asking me some more questions and checking stuff. And, um, then all of a sudden she goes, well, hang on just a minute. And then she was gone for another five minutes. Seemed like an eternity. (laughs) And then she came back and she said, um, well, I'm not going to be able to upgrade or expedite to upgraded ser- upgrade to expedited service. And I was like, well, why not? She goes, well, it's in processing. <clears throat> I'm like, well, what does that mean? She goes, that's all I can tell you. You have to go to the website and check your status. And I go, well, I already did that. That's how I'm, why I'm calling you to try to get this expedited. She goes, well, I just, I won't be able to help you. And so I said, well, is it something to do with my birth certificate or is there any problem with my documentation? And she goes, no. And so I was befuddled, and so I went, okay. okay. But I forgot to ask about my affidavit if that was the reason why there was no it's not total it's not what what she means i think anyway i'm reading between the lines here is in processing when they receive it if you don't have the expedition stuff on the passport at that point if you do it goes over to the expedition office otherwise it goes in processing and you know regular and i'm sure what happened is you didn't have that on there it went into processing and it's in some clerk's hand somewhere along the line and they you know track it down and all that crap it'd be i wouldn't i wouldn't be alarmed about it ken okay well i just making sure i wasn't snake bit again (laughs) no i'm Um, I'm sure it's some uh, i'm sure it's a bureaucratic reason you know honestly I, I uh, um, had something to say about the Constitution. 
the Constitution is actually a Jesuit uh, document, as well as the U.S. flag is a Jesuit flag. So the whole thing was uh, introduced in order to get Catholicism into the United States because that's what the original founders of this country came here for was to escape uh, persecution from the Catholic Church right. and from the and, and so from the King of England and, and you got to realize right, which was <clears throat> it was almost pri- yeah. almost totally Protestant and uh, uh, in our country and here they're trying to come in and get a foothold in a Protestant country which is why the Jesuits were started was to fight the Protestant Re- Revolution the Reformation right. uh, here are a couple and of that- questions uh, for you Ken <coughs> You mentioned the flag and the Constitution and stuff. Excuse me. Do you know that the land of D.C. was donated by two Catholic brothers from Maryland who are very wealthy? One was a Jesuit. Yes, it was Jesuit property, right? Swamp land. Right. Now, the other thing is the most viewed symbol in the world. Anybody got a guess? You you know what the most viewed symbol in the world is, Ken? This is according to uh, Tupper. I would guess it's that Catholic symbol that uh, Constantine saw. Have you ever heard of the word Persephone? Have. Persephone is the gal that sits atop the Capitol. And the history behind Persephone and the uh, symbolism is Persephone owns everything she oversees. I think it it all goes back to ISIS. It's just like the Statue of Liberty is actually ISIS. Um, but uh, the reason why they did the Constitution and, and the freedom of religion was uh, so that they could get the Catholic foot in the door. Uh, that's why they specifically did that, was um, to not uh, limit any particular religion, meaning that Catholicism was okay. That's the short version. Yep. Well, uh, you know, it just when I heard that guy on the radio saying Cardinal Ratzinger run, ran the CFR and the second guy was one of his other guys, I went, holy smokes. I mean, it's right there in front of your face. Okay. Roger. Yes, Daniel. Did you know, according to my research, <clears throat> that there was a black pope all along? I, and people don't know about the black pope. And the black pope runs the show and the white pope is just the politician to present okay right but back when our country was being formed the black pope shut down his office traveled on the ship uh under disguise and ended up with our founding fathers helping to form um our stuff the constitution all that stuff and they recognized him he had a carry that he carried a little box with all of his documents that he wanted to preserve on his whole trip and guess what they called him our founding fathers looked at him and called him professor. That is, that is just crazy. I've never, I've never, I've never heard that. Yeah, yeah, that, and, and it, it fits with what Ken's saying because uh, they were in from the foundation along with the along with the Rothschilds and all that. It was all there, and of course we know that um, that, that the Jesuit, I mean, I'm sorry, the Rothschild uh, mandates are saying, we'll give you whatever you want as long as we control your money. We don't care what you think. That's right. A- it's the same old uh, um, Edomite um, 
what's the word I'm looking for, where they interject themselves into the systems. Um, uh, but this, they, you know, come under so many different disguises. <laughs> parasite's a good word. That's him. I didn't, well, don't forget <laughs> the Khazars. Parasite. Parasite, the K- like Pharisee. K- the, 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 the Khazars, as Cliff High called them, the identity stealers. Yep. Okay. Did you know right, the guy? It's all of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I go ahead. The guy that was the captain of the Titanic, he was a Jesuit, and did all the all the all the supporting staff of that captain. In other words, the officers of that boat were all Jesuits. Of course, they didn't have the collar on. They were, you know, they're artists and all kinds of different things. Okay, scientists and all. But the, did you know that? In um, in London, while that was being orchestrated, of course they wanted to get all the bankers that didn't want this crap on that boat. That was their whole purpose. And the, there was a strike of the the people that were running ships. They had a strike, and so they could insert. Of course, who orchestrated the strike? Hey, eh? but the strike let let um, an opening for the Jesuits to stick their people on that boat to drive it. Wouldn't surprise me. None of this stuff would really surprise me. Um, but that's, that's a lot of information I've never heard, Daniel. So if you could get me that video, yeah. I'd like to watch it. Okay, it's all. I sent all, the video. Okay. I sent the video, but that video doesn't have the. Dark, it talks about the black pope, but it doesn't talk about he was actually present. I forgot where I got that research, but it, it, it doesn't surprise me that that happened, though, because. You think that these guys that control the earth from the beginning of time, these are just these are just the Babylonic uh, Luciferian um, bloodline that's controlled everything through religion. And, you know, our Lord said you come from your father, the devil. Did you know that in this? I didn't read the Satanic Bible, but this is what I've heard from from sources that have that in the Bible. It talks that all these bloodlines say they come from the line of Cain. All of them. The, the exactly. Red, all yeah. say they come from the line of Cain. And if your father is the devil, we're not talking just spiritual here. I'm sorry. We got two se- different seeds on the earth. And that's the battle's been all about. And the uh, church never wanted to come clean with that. I would, I, I, again, I'd go back and plug that SGT report. And uh, I was laying down while I was listening to it. So I think I dozed off during a little of it. But it there's a lot of really good information on there about the historical bit of this and the Nephilim and all that stuff. It's really worth yeah. listening to. Okay. Well, it gives a whole new meaning to the, uh, what is it, was his name, Mark Bryce's video where they examine the brain activity when shown oh, certain images. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Boy. a total humdinger right there. It I mean, proves it- that they're, they are different kind of people. They are physically different, and thus your brain is like your spiritual interface, your quantum device, you know, um, and... So you have different pathways to the spiritual world in, in a brain like that. So it, I think, IDs exactly who these people are. And, you know, you haven't heard a, you hadn't heard a peep about that research anywhere else but Mark Dice, have you? Not, yeah, it's not, pretty not, quiet. Not a peep, okay? And so I, why didn't when 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 um, Cain and Abel offered their sacrifice to God? And I was taught this in Catholic. You know, it's like, well, Cain's wasn't received. Why wasn't it received? I mean, no one ever asked questions. That's what's so awesome when you read the Bible. Stop just buying everything that you're 
been told to believe and ask God what if you have a question, what the heck it is, and you'll be surprised how God will talk to you. He still speaks. His word was not written when he started to create the world. It was all verbal. He still talks verbal and written, okay? So the point is, why, why was Cain's offering not received? My question is, if he comes from his father, the devil, then he doesn't have 100% human heart, so he could never offer from his heart 100%. Could he ever be? It done in faith. It, so so if, he, if he was from the serpent seed, which is what all these uh, royals believe, and they, they swear it by their satanic Bible, could he ever, ever offer an offering that God could receive? And the answer, in my opinion, is real simple. No, he didn't have a human heart. And that's what these people are. That's where you call about the, the, reptilian, the reptilian race. And in in, from what I understand, that's what they are. They can't, they can't be saved. They can't get to that other side. And that's why I always wonder why the Jews were told to kill all these people when they inhabited the land. And then, of course, most of the time they intermarried with them and the whole thing was ruined at that point. They were Canaanites. They were Jews. Every, this, that's what this guy said. Everything's Canaanite. Everything goes back, but we got to go beyond and, Cain. And, what happened in the garden? And who did the Canaanites morph into? Well, we got uh, well, yeah. the great. It was the great. and the, the Canaanites intermarried, and then they became the other various uh, factions. The Phoenicians. The Phoenicians, Samaritans, right. there's a bunch of races that came out. If, of if you go and, and look at that ancient history, the one of the real big uh, uh, adversaries of the Roman Empire was the Phoenicians. And what was their capital? Anybody know? Tyre and Sidon. Carthage. Okay, and this is where the destruction of Carthage comes in. They were sacrificing children and all that stuff back then. Phoenicians, the traders, the merchants of the earth. Okay, let me it's go. Interesting that God protected um, Cain. It's put a mark on him, said, and said he'll be protected by God. So that shows you how God uses evil. And you wonder why did the giants get through the flood? Because God was not done using these entities to drive man to Him. Uh, one thing right, I right, Pharaoh, yeah, yep. Uh, one thing I was thinking about. I even was considering doing it with Brent today, but since he's not here, it's even maybe more appropriate. Although I would like for him to hear it because I don't know that he ever has. And that's the spiritual track that this project has been on since the inception. Uh, and there's been several incidents. One of them included me, but the other ones I wanted to talk about primarily were in the origins and the genesis of this, and that's with John W. Benson. Uh, John, and at the time, Glenn, Glenn was trying out the Mormon religion there for a while. He's always searching for spirituality. and uh, But John was a devoted Mormon his whole life. Uh, I mean, really devout, okay? And... Um, in the Mormon religion, they have a, like a bar mitzvah, I guess, uh, a coming-of-age ceremony. You know, down here in South America, they call it quince cumpleaños. And when a girl turns 15, quince, uh, in Spanish, they have these huge parties. And I mean, mothers save for years to give their daughters this quince cumpleaños party, okay? 
And um, that's kind of a coming of age for the female in the Spanish culture. Of course, we know about bar mitzvahs in the Jewish culture. And I guess this is parallel to that in the Mormon culture. It's called a patriarchal blessing. Do you know about this, Daniel? You ever heard this? No, okay. I have not. In the Mormon religion, when a when a young man comes of age, they have this thing called a patriarchal blessing. And the way they do it is the uh, the object person stand, goes in a room, sits down by themselves. An elder of the church comes in. They lay their hands on you, and they predict your future. Okay. When John went through his patriarchal blessing, the elder came in, and he put his hands on John. And he said, men will come to you to seek their freedom from northeast, west, and south. Pretty interesting. Uh, as he got into this, and i just give some history here for you that may not know the background of this. Uh, John Benson was just a guy that loved the law. I mean, you know, we all like fishing or whatever. Well, he loved the law. And so he'd been studying the law, not in law school, but on his own. And then as he got further into it and further into it he got a job with the air force and civil service and contracting work so he became particularly interested in contract law and that led him to tax law and so he started and taxes was his ballywick man he thought he could change the country by showing how unequal in the the tax system with its holes and whatnot the problem is, is people hate taxes, and they certainly don't want to learn all that confusing crap and go through it to understand it. That was, I think, the fatal flaw there. Uh, but regardless, so uh, he got estranged uh, from his family uh, because of all this stuff in the interim. And uh, he was in Denver uh, area with a whole bunch of other. They had a hell of a patriot group out there at that time. I've mentioned John Nelson. Did any of you are even heard of John Nelson? No. Wow. This guy is the consummate patriot researcher, okay? Uh, he A lot of the stuff we talk about here is his research, all right? And so he's out in the Colorado area. I think he lived in Durango. He may still be out there. When he was at one point in Durango, he had almost the whole city using silver as legal tender, okay? Uh, so anyway, John Nelson was in that research group that they were all in. There was another guy that was a really big friend of John's named Dean Stonier, uh, who, uh, used to hold these things called global science fairs. Anybody familiar with those? No. Now, this is old-time stuff here, guys, okay? Uh, global science fairs, they'd have the one in the summer in Denver and the one in the winter in Daytona Beach, and uh, Dean Stonier was the guy that ran all that, and uh, him and John were real big buddies. In fact, he got in an IRS problem, and John wrote a brief for him, and this first time we've seen all this IRS history in one document. I've still got it somewhere. Uh, we call it the Stonier Brief. Anyway, um, John was involved with those folks in the Denver area, and um, he was doing his research at the University of Denver Law School. Okay, And he was in the law library there one day in the back part of the English section of the old law, which is where he'd always go. Okay, That's why we know so much today is because of that right there. All right, I'm telling you. And so in the if you've been in a law library back there in the back where those sorts of books are, sometimes the aisles are a little narrower because not a lot of people use them, you know. And so he's back there in that section and studying something, looking for something. And he turns around and his elbow hit a book on the opposite side of the aisle and it fell out of the shelf and fell on the floor. 
And uh, so John, being a consummate lover of books, especially in that section, reaches down and it fell on the floor open, Daniel. Okay? Wow. And when he picked up the book, it was about the exchequer and the process of it, and it had the things listed that the that the exchequer couldn't seize, your work product and stuff, you know? And he went, holy shit, that's the same stuff the IRS can't seize today. That's where a lot of this came from, okay? And so uh, we go along and all, all the different things that happened, the raid, and uh, I don't know if I told you guys, but when John and Glenn put this together, they um they drew up a package of the the textbook that i still have a copy of and and uh the other stuff an explanation and they sent it to the irs in philadelphia which is the philadelphia service center handles all non-resident alien returns okay and so um they sent it to the irs there and they said listen we're going to be going around the country teaching this tax law and uh, if any of your agents would like to uh, attend our seminars if they'll bring their id we'll not only let them in but we'll give them free class materials and the irs wrote back and said well thank you very much we're going to turn this over to the education department which they obviously did because it was shortly thereafter that the education department from the IRS in the form of criminal investigation division showed up and busted all three of their offices and held them at, at gunpoint on the floor for eight hours with, a gun, with glocks on them. So uh, that was another part of this. I was involved at that point and we all were shocked of course and it kind of put our whole deal on a a different track and uh at that point i was green like many of you are here and it's everything spinning in your head and but i didn't know much but i knew that the federal even at that point i knew the federal government didn't react that quick to anything and that whatever these guys were on had to be important or that wouldn't happen and so that was another motivation for me in the early days when i didn't understand this i knew it was important okay and so uh that happened and all the other things now to switch it to me i i go ahead and they go off to jail for 15 years and all you know nine actually when but what it wasn't concurrent consecutive it was each one separate glenn got nine and a half years and john got six okay and so uh, we corresponded during that time and it's in that period of time when the guy from the bureau of prisons this is another one of these god things okay they sent glenn to a uh, minimum security facility in upper minnesota somewhere and they sent john to the only un one of if not the only unair-conditioned facility in the bureau of prisons in petersburg virginia okay and so after a couple of years glenn being very spiritually oriented wanted to uh get into some kind of a pastoral problem uh, program excuse me they had in uh, bureau of prisons and so he applied for the program and uh I call it the fickle finger of fate. Remember that from that old TV show, Laugh-In and stuff? The fickle fickle finger of bureaucratic fate here because uh, the bureaucrat that accepted Glenn's application to the pastoral program, one of the places it was taught was Petersburg, Virginia. And the bureaucrat reunited these two guys in the same facility. Wow. Okay? You got you. I mean, come on. All right. And so that gave them, they 
gotten these five books from these authors that wrote on the exchequer and they'd read them but they were in the middle of all that crap and then they got sent off and uh so it was first time they had a chance to get back together and skull this information and so every afternoon uh, glenn, uh john was in a wheelchair at that point and uh, glenn would get him in his wheelchair and wheel him out to the soccer field they had there at the facility and they'd sit under a big shade tree and spend four hours together every day talking about this stuff and the tax book came out of there wow okay so i was communicating with them they didn't have a typewriter at that time they were handwriting everything and they'd send it to me you know in jail stamps are like currency by the way evidently and uh so they'd send that to me and i'd type it and send it back to them typewritten uh, eventually somehow glenn Glenn is a really talented guy, folks. I wish I could get him on here more, really. He just doesn't. He just turned his back on the whole damn shit, okay? So, anyway, Glenn finally scrounged up a typewriter that they weren't supposed to have, and he hid it so they could start doing their own typing. And, honestly, that's where the tax book came from, okay? Edited after they got out, of course, and all that stuff. But that was the genesis of that, at least the book we know it as it currently is today, uh, Taxation Without Misrepresentation, The Truth About Taxes in Plain English is the title. It's available over on the book patch, by the way. Um, so then it transfers to me. And uh, so I'm, uh, you know, my wife has passed away. I knew I wanted to get out of Atlanta. I knew I was moving somewhere, didn't know where. So I went down and parked myself for about five years at the family home with my mom, a big family, five-bedroom home. She lives in there by herself. And uh, so it was in that period of time when all these things happened to me. And that's uh, when Obama was running. Daniel, you never ever heard this, have you? No. When, uh, when Obama was running, I'm sitting there one day, had a beautiful office overlooking the water. You know, we live on a bayou there. And a uh, lovely setting. And I'm sitting there, and the little voice comes to me. Now, that's the second time it had come to me. It had come to me in the 80s first time. I won't go into that. The second time, I just hear one little phrase, you need to get out. Oh, hell, here comes that voice again, you know. And so as uh, I had done the first time that I'd heard it, I dispelled it. Well, a few days later, it came again and said the same damn thing, you need to get out. That was my motivation to leave the country. I think you're seeing that pan out today, by the way. Okay. And so uh, that was when I started thinking, well, where would I go? I've never traveled internationally. I don't speak another language. None of that. Where the hell would you go? Pose that question to yourself, you know. And so uh, that was one night I was watching public broadcasting, and they used to have a – I don't know if they still do. They might, but I doubt it. Uh, they used to have a program on called Globe Trekkers. Anybody remember that? Daniel, you ever see that on PBS, Globe Trekkers? Oh, Yeah. Okay, well, that night, you know, for those of you who may not, it's a couple of Brit, young young Brits, and they'd do a video, and they'd go to different countries in the world and travel the country and show you the country. And so at the first of the program, they'd put a, a silhouette of the country up there, and they'd show you what they were going to, the itinerary they were going on. Well, I'd seen it before, interestingly enough, but that night it was a repeat on Argentina. And 
I had a friend who's uh, in the from the record business, a dear friend named Jim Riggins, and uh, Riggins actually used to work for the Beatles. He worked for Apple Records for the Southeast, and uh, a longtime guy in the record business, and just a really great guy, very close friend. And Riggins had uh, married a gal with some means, and he couldn't wait to start spending her money. And uh, one of the he was a he was an international traveler, man. He, Riggins was a piece of work. At one point at his house in Roswell, Georgia, he had 250 greyhounds out behind the house. <laughs> 200 250 greyhounds now okay and what he'd do is he'd breed them and race them all over the world and he had greyhounds in ireland he had greyhounds in australia he had a whole bunch of them in south florida and all over the place so he's this international traveler right so riggins marries this gal with money well man he's really traveling now and so uh one of the places they went somebody just hold on hold up See if this is a reply from Brent. No, uh, oh, come on. Uh, no, no reply from Brent. Okay, so one of the um, one of the places he had gone to was Italy, and the, him and his wife had gone to Italy, and they loved Italy, and he wanted to buy a vineyard over there, and uh, it was too the inflation was rampant right before they were going into the EU, and he, even Riggins couldn't afford it. <laughs> And so he ended up, he's down here in Ecuador and uh, on getting dental work. They've got a lot of, you get real cheap dental work down here compared to what you guys pay. It's ridiculous, okay? And they're very good dentists, by the way. And so uh, Riggins is down here, and whatever process he was having done, had to have a couple of days uh, time before he went back to the dentist. And so he's sitting here bored. He was always, you know, real antsy. And he's sitting here bored. And so he puts into a search engine vineyards in South America. And Argentina pops up. And so Riggs said, well, I'm right here in Ecuador. I'll just hop a plane and go down there to Argentina, which he did. And he ended up buying a couple of what they call in Spanish fincas, our farms. And so he bought a property and, you know, all this stuff. And he kept going down there. And it was, nice. it was right after the bankruptcy. Stuff was real cheap. Argentina's a nice place. You know, you can have great – we used to have these great dinners, you know, and stuff where people would invite everybody over and everybody would bring a dish and plenty of wine because it's cheap and it's great. And, you know, just a real good social atmosphere too and he fell right into that and he'd been telling me about it and trying to get me down there to argentina to come with him and i kept saying oh, come on riggins i'm not going down there and uh so then there's that program on argentina that night on public broadcasting after i'd heard the little voice and so uh, i had asked riggins back then the same dumb question that everybody asked me when i got down there honestly and that is are you close to buenos aires and he goes no no we're on the other side of the country by the andes about 600 miles difference and that night on that program they put the map of Argentina up, and they started up in Salta, which is in the northern part. Actually, it's the city that founded Argentina, surprisingly enough. And they started in Salta, Salta and they came down this very famous, it's an internationally famous road called Ruta 40. 
uh, Ruta 40 is famous because of motorcycle guy well, two, for a couple of reasons. One, it's one of the most dangerous roads in the world. And two, because a lot of motorcycle guys like to go down there in the summer and you can ride from the Basalta in the top of Argentina all the way down to the southern part in Tierra del Fuego on a motorcycle. And, uh, and for uh, I wish Thumper was on with us today. And some of it's in the Andes and some of it's right beside it. But anyway, they took that day, the Ruta 40 from Salta down to Mendoza, where I lived, and then down to Bariloche, which is the Switzerland, South America, and the South, and they ended up in Buenos Aires. So I knew that it wasn't close to Buenos Aires, and I got a, a view of that area of the country in that program, and I had Riggins on the phone the next morning, literally, tell me about Argentina. And shortly thereafter, made the decision to move without ever even going down there. And then he was going down in October for a month. He said, well, why don't you get your passport and just come down with me on, on a visit and see how you like it. And I did that. Okay, So all that was the uh, lead up to me moving to Argentina and all that uh, motivation from the little voice, because I'd never had a passport before would motivated me i was just as scared interfacing with these bastards as most of you newbies are okay like the guy that wrote where's my return receipt okay and so uh i went reluctantly to the post office picked up a ds11 a ds82 came home put my foot up on the desk started reading it and there and i'm not kidding you one bit audience okay at the top of the first page of the ds11 is the friggin answer i've been looking for for 15 years i'm not kidding you and the lesson that i took away from that was the old an acronym of fear fantasized experiences appearing real and how those things in our mind present barriers to us that we, we, we will not cross or step over and then when you do, you look back and go, what the hell was I scared of that for? And your life opens up. And this is what happened here. Okay, When I w- was forced to these circumstances, get that application and look at it and read it carefully. And there on the top of the front page is the, the answer I've been looking for. Let me see if this is Brent here. Oh, okay. We'll hold, hold it right there. Uh, where's Brent here? something uh my spot i don't know maybe brent will join us a minute i don't know what's happening oh uh, so <clears throat> i can't distract from this there's daryl and uh hey, hey daryl so uh anyway let me finish this story here so that was uh that you know reluctantly i grabbed i said well hell i got an affidavit you know the warning box they used to put the warning brent's box on. Brent's, on. brent's here okay hey brent glad you made it um i'm right in the middle of a story here on the background of our project so if you'll just bear with us for a second here because i'm in the middle of it kind of towards the end so um the warning box label was what they used to put at the top of the printed form and that's what i saw and at the very top of the page it said secretary of state now years before uh when we were actually in classes with them one of the guys from nebraska i've told this story recently had written the secretary of state of nebraska and he had asked him if he could send him some sort of documentation that he's a nebraska state citizen and whoever the secretary of state was in nebraska at that time complied and sent him this beauty you can find it online i've somebody found it online sent it to me a while back and uh but you don't get the beauty of the document because it doesn't copy well gold doesn't copy well under copier Okay. it copies as black 
So on this beautiful paper that he had, it had the big seal in Nebraska up there, and it had big gold embossing that came off the seal and ran down the edge of both sides of the paper. You know, it was just a beautiful, beautiful format. And the Secretary of State, well, this is to signify that so-and-so is a proud Nebraska state citizen. (laughs) Well, he started flashing that around. And, you know, we knew about state citizens. That is replete in all the old law courses, all the old law decisions through the 1800 state citizen, even in the slaughterhouse cases, you know. And so we all wanted one. Well, I wrote to the Secretary of State of the state of Florida. And he wrote me back and he said, well, I'm sorry, I can't do that for you, bud, because the Secretary of State of the United States of America has all final authority over all matters concerning citizenship. Now, I was very green. That's the answer right there. And I was so green in the my growth that I didn't understand it. I couldn't put it into perspective at that time. But when I saw that application with the Secretary of State at the top of the page, underneath it says passport application, it, it connected for me because I'd remembered that sentence. It had gone into my subconscious. There's another God thing. Okay, That's happened several times to me. And so uh, I said, well, hell, I got an affidavit. I know what that means. I know about all this stuff a little bit anyway. And so I wing. You you think you guys are concerned about this? I wing and a prayered it right then in 2007. I put those things together, and I said, I got to have a passport to move to Argentina. And it says I can include affidavits. I know what's going on here. I think I really understand this, and I'm submitting it. Well, that was the summer that they changed the rule on traveling to adjacent countries, Canada, Mexico, and the Caribbean. Before that, you could travel on a driver's license. But after that, they made everybody get a passport, and it was that summer. So you guys think you're a little bit antsy about getting your green cards back? <laughs> well it took a long time to get my passport okay because of that that traffic jam they had up there finally one day it came in the mail and i went holy smokes okay and so go to argentina I'm, i've got the answer now i don't have it in any kind of refined form like we do now but i've got the answer and i understand it well hell, i start trying to tell everybody okay so that's just me all right and uh Well, that's why the expat community in Argentina disliked me so much because they're a bunch of guys. They get down there. They're out of the country. They don't learn to speak the language, and they sit there and watch CNN all day. Okay, And so that was the problem I had in Argentina was a backlash of this. So anyway, I got that relationship with these guys, and I'm trying desperately to get a door open for this information. Man, I mean, I'm it's just, you guys that are trying to proffer this, you know what, I'm, what we're talking about here. Okay, So I'm trying to get a door open where I can get this out because I got the answer, even though it's rudimentary for me and my understanding and explanation, and I can't get anybody's attention. So I get a guy that's had a lot of success in our movement is i'm not going to use his name he's still alive and uh i thought well maybe this guy can open some doors for us you know and so he, he i contacted him and he ended up moving to argentina and living in our house and little did i know this guy's a full-blown damn psychopath okay and if you've never had a psychopath in your personal life you just go online and put psychopaths in personal lives and search engine read some of the horror stories Okay, so that's what I went through with this guy. He turned my world upside down within 60 days, okay? And so that was the precursor to the automobile accident. 
was me being upset from all of this crap, I won't go into it, that happened around revolving around this guy and his shenanigans. Okay, and so that was why I hadn't had any sleep, and that was really one of the one of the direct causes of the accident that I had. I went to pick my friend up, Riggins, in Mendoza, 150 miles away. He did not want to ride the bus. He wanted me to rent a car and come get him, which I did. And went up there. There was another family, two gals from a very well known Patriot family. I won't mention the name. Were happened to be on the same flight coming to Argentina because they wanted to see if they could find a place for the family to move to. They didn't give me any notice, by the way. It's in the middle of summer, the height of the tourist season. Can't find a room for them and everything. Oh, we're coming to Argentina tomorrow. What happened? They are on the same flight with Jim out of Atlanta. And so I get the car. I go up there, pick them up at the airport about 1130 by the time they got through customs and all that stuff and so we're headed south a couple hours drive and it's around noontime and and it's a real hot summer day in the high desert there and they wanted to stop at this bodega of a vineyard that had had a restaurant that was very nice it was a lovely lovely place south of mendoza we had a wonderful lunch riggins ordered a bottle of wine which was really unusual because riggins never drank Okay, and uh, so he had a order a bottle of wine, Malbec, of course, and I had a glass, I think, at lunch. But I was driving, you know, so I wasn't drinking. And uh, so we get back in the car, big lunch, hot day, small cars, no no decent air conditioning, and I dozed off at the wheel. Okay, and that was the that was the accident. That's the backup to it. It's my fault. Six people were killed. Okay, and boy, you talk about turning your life upside down. All right. Now I should have been killed in that accident. If you, you if you ever, if you see the pictures ever, you can probably look them up online. Uh, it was uh, I should have died that day. Okay. In fact, I was told that a picture of the rental car I had ran in every newspaper in the country of Argentina above the fold, and the, with a picture of the car, and the headline was "It's a miracle this guy's alive," and it was. And I've got to think that the only reason that the Lord spared me through that is to do this. And that's why I do it with a lot of zeal, by the way. You know, Jeff mentioned yesterday paying it forward. I'm paying it back because otherwise I don't think I'd live through that accident. All right. So then my life was hell for about four years, as you can imagine. But that incident and that setup was what finally opened the door with Jeff Bennett. And that's the reason we're here. So, Brent. You're with us. What I was doing was just going over the uh, incidents of what I think is divine contact into this project. Okay, and you missed the first part in John's history and some of that. But there's been a long incident, a long train of incidents that lead me to the conclusion that this is a divine inspired project. Okay, recently, and I've mentioned it a couple of times on the air because it reinforces this. Because of the Sarah Westall interview, a bunch of you are here because of that, okay? And I can't – I've had at least five-plus emails from people requesting information, and they tell me in the email, I never listened to Sarah Westall, but for some reason I saw that and clicked on it today. I've heard that so many times. And see, I know what it is now. I, I, I didn't before. So anyway, just for you guys that are new and want to know a little of the background of how we got here over so many years, uh, there's been some really significant things that show me personally that this is divinely inspired, okay? Now, I look at my life personally, 
I've had a real good life, all right? I mean, I've done met famous people and done unbelievable things and it just had a great life, you know? But I can look back on my life now and see where I've been trained to be able to do this the way that I do it now. You know, early in radio, in in the big record business for years, and dealing with radio people, and then getting into teaching and public speaking, and all the other things that I've done and been guided to that I all, all focus on where we are right now and the ability to do this. Okay, so for any of you that want to know, there's some background on this project. Welcome, Brent. Roger. Roger. Hi. Go ahead. Somebody said Roger, right? Yeah, who was saying something right there? I, I just got one quick comment. I don't I don't want to burn up Brent's time. Uh, with respect to Sarah Westall, she's how uh, I came to uh, know about this. Correct. And uh, my background, uh, briefly stated, is I've been doing this since uh, uh, the 2000s, um, uh, researching all this stuff, going down rabbit holes 24-7. 365 for that many years and i can count how many sarah westall programs i have seen on one hand right and yours was one of them i mean listen i've heard that five six seven times from people and it just goes to reinforce and tell me that it's just more feedback you know you're looking for a feedback loop and uh i think we got something that's real special here in fact i know it personally you know because all these things have happened um so anyway, I'm sorry you missed that, Brent. I was thinking about talking about that today, and then you weren't with us, so I went ahead and launched into it. Uh, Ken, what were you going to say? Roger. Yes. I apologize for interrupting, but I have something I think is pretty important to talk about because I'd like to keep you guys all around for as long as possible. Um, two things, and uh, it, it's it's off venue a little bit, but um, there's something called M. MS, which stands right. for Miracle Mineral Solution, right. which if you're not familiar with it, you sound like you are familiar with it, I am. but everybody needs to get that because it's the only thing that I've found that will break down Roundup, glyphosate, and you got to have it because their glyphosate is in everything, in yep. the water, in the food, women's yep. breast milk, everything. Yep. And the other is there's a company that makes uh, non-GMO heirloom seeds, seedarmory.com. You should order your seeds from them and do both of those things right away. If you hadn't hadn't gotten any heirloom seeds by now, shame on you. Where's that that noise coming from? Could somebody please cut that out? Um, Somebody, at least identify who that is and mute them, please um so uh anyway that's good advice thank you ken um brent welcome hi roger oh your story was worth listening to and i've discovered everybody most everybody i talk to has a they've lived very long has a story that's worth listening to most people never tell their stories most people never tell them and hardly anybody ever writes them down so the stories are forgotten People just keep going round and round. There's a lot of lessons in your story about things. Number one, don't bring people into your home unless you have to. You never know what you're bringing in. You may think everything's okay, but this fella you're talking about that you brought into your humble home, I remember him, by the way. Yeah, Brent Brent knows who this is. You guys don't. I'm not going to use his name, okay? (laughs) Yeah, and I won't. But I remember him, and he he had a way of uh, promoting himself at one time. And uh, you can never tell. He had a great, 
great way of presenting himself on video and on radio and uh and he looked like he was uh normal he was not normal he was so far out there that like a lot of people roger this is dangerous to say like a lot of people in show business they're lunatics but they acting's all about hiding your lunacy you know what, what it is brent is. you know what it is what? I think they're psychopaths Okay. That's a good word. And yeah, they've got and, and psychopaths. I've done a lot of study on this, and that's how I tagged <laughs> him, man. After that whole yeah. thing, I was mm-hmm. reading an article on how all these people that control the government are psychopaths, and mm-hmm. they had all these characteristics of the condition listed. And I was reading them. I go, well, hell, that's him. Okay, <laughs> so that's how I connected all that. And yeah. then as we were having our personal uh, battles, I, I it's funny. I would I would accuse him of being neurotic, and he'd like go berserk. Because evidently his mother had had been neurotic, okay. But later on, when I accused him of being a psychopath, mm-hmm. he never said a word. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, the psychopaths you know. have a very thin veneer, is where they attract their victims, and it's that charming, charming veneer with the dead part underneath that sucks people in, and then they got you. That's that's the deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, as a personal matter i've rejected for what i consider very good reasons all these uh, medical labels they're meaningless in my in my understanding and my experience and i've had experience with the, those kind of people but they're all the same they're prone to violence they just want to they just want to steal and they want to kill and they want to destroy you call it whatever you want it's always the same and uh, you know back in the you know, I say, back in the uh, early days, centuries ago, they called them berserkers. Yeah. Now, there were, that was one, one kind. That was just one kind. But they, those folks learned to use those kind of fellows in a military way that was effective. They just turned them loose, gave them room according to the strength, and they'd kill anything within reach. And they were big enough to do it, That's even their own people. So a berserker, a psychopath, whatever you want to call them, they're, those are schizophrenia. You could use that one too. Yeah. What's that? That's just a label that they don't know what they don't know what it is. They, the medical, medical profession, profession, the psycho rebel crowd, they don't. They don't know. They no, do not possession. know. They it's do demon not. possession. Well, you could call it that. I'm going to tell you what. Wait. This guy knows. I promise yeah. you. Okay. Is there demon possession? Yes, I agree. Now, there is such a thing. But there, there's people that are, are there are two kind. I'm glad you brought. Was that Murr? Murr was yeah. that? Yes. Yeah, Murr, I'm glad. Or obsession. It doesn't yeah. have to be complete possession, but okay, there's obsession Murr. as well. Well, Murr, um, you brought up the two things I was talked and loaded to bring up when you said that. So, no, I agree, Murr. There is such a thing as demon possession, and number two, there is such a thing as demon control, and the devil and his minions control people by two methods. And uh, Murr used a couple of the words to describe it, but one of it is possession, and the New Testament uses the word demonization, or demodzizo, demonizo, which is the idzo, is the intensive intensive form of the verb, and it means to be demonized. We use the idzo, too, when we say ized, but it means that the, the creature controls from within. But most all of demon control in the world is control from without control from within is isolated much more uh control from without controls most all the world and everybody in it you don't believe it look at the idiots that 
put diapers on their heads. How many people did that? Most everybody. Still doing that's it. Dem- You're still that, doing yeah, it. I, I see him. I see him, Roger, too. That's demon control from the outside. People are foolish enough to be sucked in because they don't go to God himself for the answers. And they're not immersed in his word and what he says. And so they do that. But that's the two things that I see in the Bible. The Bible's clear. That's the way it works. And then outside the Bible, you see the experiences of it. So whether or not this fellow, though, Murr, that Roger and I are talking about, was possessed from the inside, I don't know. And that's not always for me to know. But I do know that he was controlled. I can see. And that's not unusual. That's normative, normative among humankind that men are controlled by demons. Ego? What's that? Ego? Unbelievable egos. Well, the the weakness of mankind, all of us have the ego, the weakness, the self. And because we have self, we're easily tempted to varying degrees. And the devil has three methods of temptation to control most all men, and he does it from the outside. That's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the vain glory of life, the vain glory of life, wanting to be something you are, wanting to be an actor, wanting to act like somebody you really aren't. And then, of course, the lust of the flesh, that's a of everything from food to sex to comfort. And then the lust of the eyes is, uh, well, your, your eyes have an appetite. That's why pornography is so valuable. That's why pretty things appeal to girls. Um, pretty things, yeah, pretty things, but pornography is mostly a man thing. But it's all the same idea of lust of the eyes. It will control. If men do not beat themselves, and women, beat themselves down and control it. And so that's how the devil controls. And those three things are raised in the first first chapters of the book of Genesis, when uh, our grandma, Eve, saw the fruit, whatever it was, she saw it. She said it was good to look at. It was good looking. It was pretty. Number two, it, uh, it was calculated to make one wise, according to the snake. In other words, you could, you could really be somebody. Uh, the vain glory of life, the empty, vain. That means empty. Glory of life. There's nothing to it, but that's what men want. And then uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. It was good for food. It says it was. she saw it was good for food. It was calculated to make one wise. And then there's more to that word than just wisdom. But And then vainglory of life catches that one and uh, was good for food, and it was pretty. Uh, it was nutritious food that looked nice. That's what it was. And it, that has the three themes then that carry like thread throughout the Bible and control control uh, our understanding of man's deplorable condition and there is no remedy to that deplorable condition by the way you think you're exempt from it you're the real fool no you're not exempt from it you are part of the problem and the only way to deal with the problem is to accept the remedy that god gives you and there's only one remedy it works real well but there's only one and it's hard to accept for a lot of folk matter of fact you won't accept it unless god puts it in your mind and makes it irresistible to you you won't you can't. It's impossible. Uh, that's what the book says anyway. But once God moves in your life and he urges you and you become persuadable by the evidence, persuadable, you're not persuadable otherwise. He makes you persuadable by his, as one fellow said to me, he was a Mormon, said, to me, you mean God's arbitrary? I said, from the human standpoint, no question. He's arbitrary. That's why Roger's alive and six other people are dead. You're telling me they were bad, worse than Roger? No, they weren't any worse than Roger. They're just more people. His friends might have been better than Roger. I don't know. Roger probably doesn't know either. But the bottom line is God has the power to give life, and he has the authority and the power to take it whenever he pleases. 
And he does it for righteous reasons that we don't understand in a whole lot of situations. God's not playing games with mankind. He gives life and he takes life, and you never know when he's going to do it. So I just repeat the words of the Bible, better straighten up and consider your own con condition and see what you can do about it. And if you're persuadable, you'll respond to what I'm saying. If you're not persuadable, you won't. And don't argue with me about it because I didn't say it. The Bible says it. You say, well, you're summarizing, summarizing summation of the Bible. That's, that's true, but that's what it says. And if you have an argument, I suggest you fall on your face before your maker and, and make your case with him. But don't make it with me because I can't do anything about it either way. Uh, ears to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Ears to hear. Eyes to see. And uh, as we were said the other day, uh, we hope he gets the wax out of our ears and he opens our eyes. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't open your eyes, you won't see anything. And if he doesn't unplug your ears, you won't hear anything. Jesus Christ said, let him that has ears hear. He, Jesus Christ never talked to the folk that, never, that didn't have ears to hear. He always addressed everything he said to his elect, you see, when he said those kinds of things anyway. There were times when he pronounced judgment, I should say. He said to the Pharisees, woe unto you stage actors, hypocrites, hypocrites, fakes, woe unto you. That means eternal, irreversible judgment. Oi, the Hebrew, oi, the interjection, doom, without appeal. He sentenced them to eternal hell at that point. There was no coming back. They were apostate. They're done. That's it. Well, but when he spoke to his elect, he had a different message. And he said, uh, it let him that has ears hear, and him that has not have ears hear. One of the verse, verses in the Bible that people bring up, uh, and I have bruises on my body from this verse because they throw it at me, <laughs> is uh, when I say these things, is uh, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. That's for everybody. Well, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say even, even if <laughs> your understanding of whosoever will is not what it was when that old translation was made. And the second thing is, that's pretty clear what it says. It's just hothello or ha, yeah, hothello, hothello. It's a participle. The one ha is the definite article. Thello is the, the participle that in an English we'd put an ing on the end. The one willing. Let the one willing come. Well, he's not talking to people that aren't willing, see. He's not talking to people that don't have ears to hear or eyes to see. He's talking to the ones that God has wiggled their willer, as Barnhouse used to say. And when God has wiggled your willer, that means that's like wiggling a, a ham radio, Roger. A ham radio doesn't work. Right. I've seen guys shake them, and all of a sudden they'll start working. Right. Well, your ham radio is busted. You ain't getting a signal from God. You may think you are, but if you ain't getting a signal from God, you're, you're not going to hear well, if he reach inside and wiggle your willer, wiggle your, your receptor, maybe, maybe you'll hear. That's up to him. But if you're unwilling, unwilling for whatever reason, to recognize the absolute, unassailable, unchangeable sovereignty of a God that does whatsoever pleases him without any input from you, he doesn't need your input, then you are not a Christian man or woman. You're something less, and you're worshiping a God that is weak and puny. That's what you're worshiping. If there's anything that oozes out of the pages of the Bible in life, and this story that you told, Roger, over, is overwhelming. Overwhelming with the truth of the absolute and utter sovereignty of the God that made us. And uh, it would do good. We 
um, have people die in our lives. I, a lady died that was well. Oh, good friend with me for many years and uh, recently died. She was here and then she was gone. She got sick and bam, she wasn't that old either. I mean, comparatively speaking, I think she was 70. And it just happened just like that. And uh, she's gone and we're asking her friends, which are my friends, are asking, well, what do we learn from this? Well, there's a lot of things we've discussed, but the one overarching thing that we discussed not to mention she should have said something sooner when she knew she had a problem. That's one of the, the things that could have made a big difference. But in all that, she didn't for whatever reason. And in all that, uh, we all agree that uh, we don't know why God took her, but we know this. We better stop and take inventory of ourselves. You know, the disciples, the, the, the learners, the, the, the impaneled jurymen of Jesus Christ, the 12 men he impaneled, a couple of them came to him, and they saw a blind man on the street begging and said, and they said, who sinned, this guy or his parents? And Jesus Christ said, neither. Don't assume that that's why he's blind. He's blind because the glory of God will be shown in him. That's why he's blind. God's going to use him, that's why. Now, it may be that uh, there's some other reason, I don't know, but Jesus Christ said, don't assume people die because they did something wrong that God just killed them for that. that that's not it. God does, does all things he does in the Bible. He, he says this in the Bible. God does all things he does for one overarching purpose that is always the same, to glorify himself. You say, well, he's an egomaniac. Listen, when you're in a class by yourself, you're in the superlative, you're not comparable to anything, then there's no such thing as egomaniac. Uh, Jesus Christ is God Almighty in human flesh along with the Father, two manifestations of the Godhead at the same time, both of them. Jesus Christ said, ego, a me, ego, a me. Over and over and over he said that, translated ego. Ego is the Greek word ego. Ego, I, me, self, I, I am the way. I, I am the truth. I, I am the life. No man come to the Father except he come by me, period. End of paragraph, end of sentence in the reality on that point. He is, his ego is everything. And he is who he is. We are not in his class. We, there is a God. We are not him. He is in the superlative, not the comparative class. We cannot compare ourselves to him in that way. And he does not compare himself to us. Do, do you, am I a man, he says, that I cannot do whatever I want to do? Am I a man? You're considering me, God said to the Israelites. You're considering me to be like you, and you're making a lot of stupid mistakes. I'm not a man like you. I'm the God of all creation. And if you don't view me that way with reverence constantly, people say the man upstairs, get out of here. Don't say that. He's not the man upstairs. He's God Almighty. That's who he is. And you show respect when you approach him. With your hat in your hand, you come to him through his only way, which is Jesus Christ. And if you try to come any other way, you risk death. Just stop and take inventory of yourself. The story you told, Roger, is a story that makes me stop and take inventory. I'm glad you told it. And God did that for his purposes. For what, and he, you're here for his purposes, and you recognize that. But to know exactly what that is in every case, we don't know because he does what he wants with everybody, his people and his enemies. He gets what he wants out of everybody, constantly, nonstop. 
I guess if there's anything that you can say that would be meaningful in today's flippant culture of brainless Christianity, uh, sermonettes for Christianettes, Christadum, I got that word from uh, Ted Weiland, uh, I give him credit for that, Christadum, D-U-M-B, not D-O-M, Christadum, is that God is holy, to use that old Anglo word. He is above everything and everybody. He is creator. We are creature like all other things. He demands our absolute trust. We're not to trust anyone else or even ourselves. He demands our absolute trust in him without exception. He demands that we worship him and no other no saints to pray to, no Virgin Mary, no Buddhas, no planet Earth. Those all are created things. And God demands we do not worship creation or any part thereof. And he takes it serious and he makes alive and he kills. And I think it is a good time, Roger, with that story you told, that we consider deeply that reality. Back to you. I wanted to follow up on that a little bit because it was very complex. I'm in a foreign country. I'm there illegally. I've killed, just about wiped out a whole family of Argentinians. My best friend died in the front seat, by the way. And so um, what happened was, as it goes through the process, this is where all this legal stuff came into really Man, I don't know if I could have made it through it without knowing the legal stuff I know at that point. That's why I keep preaching. You guys learn this stuff. You can apply it in your daily lives like, you know, you'll be surprised. And so uh, what they did there was the, the accident was in a little town about just south of uh, Mendoza City, which was 150 miles away. So it's probably a 130 miles or something up there in a little town called Tunion, Tunion, Argentina. If you've ever seen the pictures uh of uh, vineyards in Argentina, and you'll see these great sloping vineyards up to the snow-capped yeah. Andes in the background. That's that's Tunion. That's where that's taken. Oh, and Roger, I I saw a picture of that car after the accident. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. So what Roger's saying about it was rolled up in a ball. There was no room left in it. I don't know how Roger lived. There I was, don't either. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Ron. Well, what happened was the, uh, the the of course they're the law of the city down here, and in that process they do the process a little bit different down there. And so if if you've got a charge against you, they cannot your lawyer, even your lawyer, nor the insurance company can see the file until they've presented it to you. Okay, so I'm there at the house one morning. Knock on the door. I go out. There's a cop car out there. I said, "Could you get dressed? You're going to Tunion." And so uh, they were taking me up there to be presented with my file. Okay, and so uh, I rode up there in the cop car, and and I get in with that translator there, and uh, we go over. The file was unbelievably thick. Okay, and she never done a legal translation before, so she was. They were going to have to go through that whole file. Okay. And so I said, let's not do this. I got one question I want to know about the children. Okay. And the other question was there was no alcohol in my system. And that's what eventually got me out of this. Okay. And so. What year was that? This was uh, 2010. February the 9th of 2010. Now, you want to get another coincidence. That's the day my father died. Okay, and so here my mother's thinking her son and her husband is dead on the same day, 
And so uh, what they told me that day was that I couldn't move without having an abogado call in a change of address. Now, in Argentina, Brent, it's a little different. They changed their legal system down there a few years ago. And Mm -hmm. when you go to law school, everybody goes through the first three years together. And the last year, you split. You're either going to be an escabana or an abogado. An abogado is a trial attorney. An escabana is a contract attorney. And they're the notaries down here, by the way. Okay, So that's the way they got it structured. And so they said, you got to have an abogado call in your change of address i said i can't call it in nope got to have this guy so uh i got a, a one of the people i had met early on down there was the youngest son of the youngest son of the biggest wine family in argentina they're called the bianchis uh many of you have drank their wine in the past and uh the young the youngest son of the youngest son had taken advantage of that and he traveled his whole life he's uh was a translator spoke fluent english and i ran into him my third day down there and we became friends you know he's a real nice guy his name's donato and uh so after after the accident obviously everybody heard about it and uh donato <laughs> donato uh, came by and gave me an attorney said you may want to get a hold of this guy so i have to go get an abogado to call and so this is where the screw-up was is the difference in cultures because down there they do siesta right so the whole town the whole town rolls up from one to five five thirty all right i mean a grocery store and a couple of gas stations and a few kiosks are open everything's else closed so i didn't realize at that point because i hadn't been there very long really that uh the uh, in argentina when you go into siesta at one o'clock the banks and the government offices close along with everything else but they don't reopen till the next day okay it's one of the reasons <laughs> that's right so it's one of the advantages of living down there disadvantage in some cases too anyway so it's in the afternoon and i get with a friend of mine spoke english and was helping me and uh by the way his name was ezekiel and ezekiel came to my door as an english speaker that helped me out a lot there's another in- indication okay so ezekiel we go and find this uh, abogado's office and we go up there and i'm in the room with him when he calls in the change of address and then like any attorney you'll appreciate this brent he wants to interview me to see if he can get the case and and because of my knowledge of the legal system i said well you know listen i ain't putting uh, some attorney on the clock this early all right and yeah. i know I know it's got to be slower here than it is up there, you know. So mm-hmm. I didn't hire him, but I did was in the room when he called in the change of address. But I didn't realize that the everything didn't reopen in the afternoon. So he Huey called the change of address into was the police department, mm-hmm. and the police department didn't deliver it to the legal department. Mm-hmm. So when they go to serve me process at the old address because I moved. Now I'm a fugitive, and I'm listed on Interpol as a friggin' mm-hmm. international fugitive, okay? Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything except what I was supposed mm-hmm. to do, okay? Mm-hmm. And so that led up to – this is a, a hell of a story here, you know? And so um, – uh i'm going along for a couple of years and they never contact me and i kind of figure out what had happened at that point and i got a real good attorney by this point he's a judge's son his name was yvonne he was number one in his high school class number one in his law school class and at 27 he's a secretary of the local bar already then spoke english and him and his dad are both honest i mean i hit three cherries here okay mm-hmm. and so uh yvonne i go to yvonne i said listen that and contact me i'm sure they lost this change of address somehow will you go up there and talk to him well hell yvonne was scared to go talk to him 
and his father's uh-huh. a judge, and they're in the same uh, district, and they knew each other. Okay, uh-huh. and so he got. Now this is a very interesting and very salient point for all of you guys, because I'm mm-hmm. now infected by all this stuff that we're teaching now, and I'm trying to turn my life around. Okay, and do the right thing, and so Avon turns to me and he said, Roger. The statute of limitations is going to run out in two years on this. Why don't you move to Salta and let it all blow over? And I looked at him and I said, Avon, this is my fault. I did this. I'm going to stay in face of music. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't long after that. He was scared to go tell the judge all this stuff. And at that point, the judge had found me somehow through some uh, cop investigator there in our local town and they'd found me and so i'm coming home from a thanksgiving party of expats and i had had my book it was the the book was the new cover and everything was done and i had a copy of it and i'd taken it to the party to show some of the other americans you know and Mm -hmm. so it was when the my girlfriend was bringing me home and she dropped me off at the front of my apartment that everything's gated you know down here and so she takes Mm -hmm. off because i'm out of the car and i go up there and put the key in the door well hell i get jumped by the damn cops okay oh boy well yeah oh, it, just, it just gets better there's a there's a happy ending here brent okay and so i get jumped by the cops well they take me down to the police station lights flashing and all that stuff and they're starting to check me in because they're going to send me up to Tunion. okay and so they're doing taking all my possessions wanting you to take your bell they want me to take my damn shoelaces out of my deck shoes and i said no i'm not doing it and i banged it on the table said take the damn shoes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so we're having that confrontation there in the police station and uh then they get into my little bag and they pull out my book mm-hmm. and they look at the book and they're processing this paperwork with the exact same name and they go well that's you i said it's my book you know and <laughs> and so eventually their attitude changed okay and so they they end up putting me in a police car and they got to take me up to tune on three hours away and they stick me in a car with the damn lights flashing and they handcuff me and i gotta go ride three hours handcuffed up to this little podunk town and get put in jail okay for the night now it's a thursday night the judge thinking i'm a reprobate had wanted me to be in there the whole weekend but before i'd gotten out of uh, san rafael where i was i'd gotten a hold of my attorney and i had to leave him a message but he knew i was incarcerated so he shows up up there the next day okay and gets me out and so they're checking me out of jail there and it's a very small town and the whole judicial thing's one room you know and the the female is checking me out there and him and the judge are talking over in the corner see and so what i was trying to explain to him was it's not my fault you know all these things that happened in the background i did it i take responsibility for that but i was trying to say you know and and what uh, i was bringing up through my attorney the fact that they'd lost the change of address that it spawned that it caused all this part of the incident right and so the judge says that's not my fault and i yelled across the room the damn accident's not my fault (laughs) and so anyway i get out of jail and but they will not let me ride back with the attorney because it's this whole official thing and they got a hell of a sheriff there he requires that even though you're innocent that you got to ride back in handcuffs so now I got to ride back in a cop car three hours to the town, and I'm in handcuffs. They don't take mm-hmm. me to the police station. They take me to the penitentiary that's in town. 
Oh, okay. I know. Oh, well, it's funny because I'd ridden past it on my motorcycle a number of times. There's a store I'd go to down there past it, and I'd look over there and go, thank God I'm not in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. hell, all of a sudden they pull up and I'm in there. <laughs> yeah. I get it. I got handcuffs on. It's hot in summer. And so they, the cops that are taking me there get out of the car to go get whoever, you know. And, uh, uh, and so they finally get to release me. And if you got handcuffs on, I don't know if any of you have ever had this pleasure, but if you got handcuffs on, when they grab you, they grab you by the handcuffs okay yeah. by the chain and they yank you out of the car and i got my head down and through all this crap i've been through and uh, you got to go up these stairs to get to the main building of the penitentiary right you want to talk about god you're about to see god right here okay and so the guy that's got me by the handcuffs is leading me up the stairs and he turns me over to the guy he's going to turn me over to and the guy goes roger uh-huh. It ends up being my next door neighbor who I didn't know worked at the penitentiary. Holy mackerel. <laughs> it gets better. Hold on. So he okay. goes, come here and let me get them damn things off of you. You know, and he carries me yeah. into the office. And then they reverse the process they've done at the police station where they're giving you back all of your stuff. Okay. Okay. And so, again, here comes the book. And they're going, well, that's you. (laughs) So I launch in. He's in his office there. And I launch into telling him what we're doing here as best I can, you know. And before long, there's two or three other people in the room. And before long, we got a whole bunch of people in the room. Hell, the whole staff from the penitentiary was in there listening. (laughs) And here comes my attorney, Yvonne. And he walks in and he goes, holy shit, Roger. So he told me later, he said, I just, he said, here I am looking all over for you. I'm about to go file a habeas corpus. Hell, they kill people down here for this kind of stuff. And I yeah. finally go to the penitentiary and you're in there with a bunch of them and they're all laughing. Yeah. So that, uh, that was the intermediary thing and then he had gotten us he had become a judge's assistant like i can't remember uh-huh. the position there one of the other judges besides his father and and uh, so he couldn't handle my case anymore and he turned me over to his girlfriend and her partner who did family law they'd never handled a criminal case before and then we were directing it behind the scenes and uh, we went up and did a trial none of the uh, people that were aggrieved showed up and uh, the judge uh, i had I'd gotten a hold of a psychologist there locally because of this psychopath involvement and done a a meeting with him and he'd written up a report that buttressed our position on the argument and we took that up there to the court and the judge we went through the proceedings a little small room the prosecutor and him and my attorneys and they told me he said don't say nothing you just don't say nothing okay and uh, he, he looked at me he said you're free to go you can leave the country and uh that was the experience and it was traumatic man i'm telling you if you haven't had your buns in the sling facing loss of life liberty or property of course you lose your life you lose you lose your property and your liberty you lose your liberty well you lose any use of your property which includes your life all of those three stand together and fall together if you lose any one of them and you're in you were facing possible loss of those. Hell, I should I never should have yeah. lived through that accident. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. If you ever see a picture of that car, you'll agree. Yeah. yeah. But when you face the loss of uh, one of those three in a, a substantial way, 
then uh, the whole world looks different from there on out. And it will be different. And it's not that it, it is different. It's that you see truth you didn't see before. You know, I was talking that's to... that's why... Uh, I, let me just inject this and hold your thought, Brent. I was talking to my friend, Dr. Bart Flick, after that on some stuff, and he made a statement that really sums it all up and hits it right on the head. He said, tragedy is often new beginnings, and it was that tragedy that birthed us being here today. And God promises, God promises that he will bring that to the, to the life of his man or woman. Go ahead. Somebody wants was, to say I something. I think it was wrong. Doug. Was that you, Doug? Yeah. You know, well, anyway, quite a story. Oh, hold up, Doug. Brent needs to give give his information before we go offline. Well, we got a couple of minutes here. Yeah, yeah, don't be a man Uh, of few words here, Doug. um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so the. uh, This is not a, a fickle finger of fate. Uh, incident here with all this uh, how it's all been how it's all uh, evolved uh, I'll use that word but I wanted to address something to Brent here about the three what might be the propensities of man or the things man is uh, most likely to be affected by as to temptations the uh, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. And my point here is uh, about the lust of the eyes. Uh, the lust of the eyes isn't just of what you uh, visibly uh, see with your eyes. I think this goes back to the time of Job, where every imagination of man was only evil continuously. In other words, we can view, we can imagine things that are evil or good. And uh, so the, I don't think it's just the physical aspect of what we see with our eyes. I think it also includes the imagination of what we have seen or can imagine. So that's my point. Okay. Well, all probably right. right. All, all sight is not in a sight no sight is in the eyes all sight is in the mind right clearly because your your eyes are just the medium that bring it to your mind your mind forms the images so i see your point and it is image i call it imagination the imagination is the image a nation and god forbids that imagination imagination is idolatry to see what you think is beautiful in your mind's eye Fashion it with your hands, but we cannot, from my understanding, separate the eyes from that whole situation. Without the eyes, the what you see in your mind's eye can't it doesn't exist. The eyes are always involved, and we always want to ha- well, always we don't always want. Uh, often, men that are idolaters. How many men and women are idolaters? All of them. It's it's in your heart to be an idolater. God utterly forbids that images and pictures of what we believe God is or looks like or some other created thing that we attribute the power of God to in some limited way. As I'd said well ago, the Virgin Mary, that's an idol, that's an image to which men attribute part of the power of God, if not all of it in some cases. And God utterly forbids that and he will not tolerate it. 
men are judged and women are judged because they worship those kind of things. And people say, I don't worship that. I just use it as a visual aid to worship. No, you worship it. Because if you give time and attention to it, and you think there's something to it that the power of God comes through it, it's a conduit to the power of God in that way, and you give attention to that because of that, that is worship. It is idol worship. It has to do with the lust of the eyes. I'm glad you brought that up, Doug. That's I, I agree. You know, the back in the Middle Ages, the, 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 the churchmen, they called them, they talked about the vision, the beatific vision of Jesus Christ, and that's one of the things they said set him apart from all other men. Jesus Christ did not see uh, God with his eyes. He is God in human flesh. But his communication with the Father was of such a nature that he didn't have to use the medium of his eyes. We as mere mortals use mediums to get information into our brains, into our minds, I should say, our ears and our eyes, the five senses. Uh, the five senses are the mediums, just like a television is a medium uh, that, through which you see something, or a radio is a medium through which you hear something. That's what our eyes and our senses are. But Jesus Christ, they concluded. Now, you don't see this clearly stated in the Bible. It makes sense, I suppose. But these are men trying to think through the situation, saying Jesus Christ is God. His communication with the Father didn't require his senses, although... We have to say, being fully man, verily man, as the old creeds say, um, he had that ability as well. If it came up, well, uh, back to you, Roger. Yeah, we're about out of time. You, why don't you go ahead and give your, your information, Brent, because we're going to hear the whistler in just a second. I'm sorry. Oh, we had an abbreviated I'm, show today, but it went by quick. Yeah. Well, I, but did I miss an hour this morning? Yeah. Oh, that's because I'm traveling. I, all of a sudden, I didn't know. I wonder why Murr said that a while ago. Yeah. Well, this is Brent. Brent Allen Winters, commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com is the website. And you can join us for church on Sunday mornings. You can join us at commonlawyer.com. Go to that website. You can see the link on Patriot Soapbox right after church. In church on Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of Genesis, clause by clause, blow by blow. Then Roger and... Uh, Thumper come on for a couple hours right after me. Then on Saturdays, I'm on Patriot Soapbox as well. And then throughout the week, I'm on another platform, uh, Liberty Works Radio back east. You can hear that. But also you can find the books there, Translation of the Bible. A common lawyer translates and annotates the Bible from the original tongues. Uh, I call it toward a raw translation, over 15,000 footnotes and 150 appendices. Then the comparative law text, excellence of the common law, comparing and contrasting the law of the land with the law of the city on every continent and in every age from the founding of the city of Babylon forward, 958-page book. You can see how to obtain that there. Commonlawyer.com. Thank you, Roger. Thank you, Brent. I'll see you on Sunday. We're about to get cut off the server. Now, here's a unique day on Fridays because the Jitsi bunch can sit around and talk uh, because Jim Ram shows a replay today. So, anyway, I will see you, uh, if not Sunday, either on Patriot Soapbox or RBN. I'll see you on Monday here. And uh, my wish is that you'll have a good weekend. And 
ruminate on some of the things you've heard. This is the original intent of having Brent on on Fridays late in the afternoon back in those days, now midday, but the lesson's the same. We get valuable lessons here, ruminate on them. That's why we're on Fridays. We just got kicked off, so we're done. Okay. Roger. Yes, sir, Daniel. I had an observation of, by the way, the story is awesome, and you shared it with me personally, so I mean, it was like, wow, God event, God event, God event. But one of the things, and I'm glad um, Brent's on at the same time, Jesus said, I don't do anything the Father doesn't say to do. And so he had that relationship with God walking in the garden like Adam did before he fell, but obviously far deeper than that because he was God, but he gave up his God to show us God show up to come to earth to show us as humans how to do it. And so one of the things that I've, and I found out when you have these God moments, like when Jesus was in uh, uh, 40, year, 40 days in the um, fasting, right after that, he's, I mean, he's tuned in to God. In fact, I think, I believe that that was when God downloaded him. Here's exactly what you're here for. Here's exactly how long when you unveil your supernatural abilities, the, 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 the powers to be that hate you and hate me are going to try to kill you. And so he was very aware of that. And so when, when he was done with his 40 days, um, he was brought up by an angel, by an angel of God, to the top of the precipice to look over all the earth, uh, all the area of the, of the power to be. And he was introduced to Satan, who said, hey, just worship me and I give you all this. So at the very time that we're having these God moments, there's these other moments that, and, and once again, I don't know the reasons for this. I like how Brent doesn't know the reasons. It's God's God. But why that goes on. Uh, we're tested. We're tested in those very deep areas that God is teaching us, are trying to teach us. And the key is, can we hear his voice? And so what I want to reflect on, how I could be, I don't want to say this is, I don't want to cast any judgments. But you were definitely hearing God say, get out of, get out of Dodge. That was a God moment. And you responded to it in life.